0: last weekend at the 11 a.m. Mass that these two weekends following Pentecost Sunday each year, we celebrate two great feast days, the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity last Sunday, and now this weekend, Corpus Christi, the Feast of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Jesus. And the church is very intentional, right, everyone, in offering us these feast days. As I mentioned last weekend, can you get much more basic in our teaching, our understanding of the faith and the Trinity and the Eucharist? Two fundamental truths, teachings, active parts of our faith. The Trinity, what did we say last week? That it is a central mystery of Christian life and faith. That what we believe about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the central mystery of Christian life and faith, and now this week in Corpus Christi. You probably didn't know that you knew the most popular quote of Vatican II, but you do. The most popular quote from the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s is this, I think. That the Eucharist is the source of, and summit of our faith. If you've heard that quote before, you are now a Vatican II expert. Little did you know, you're a Vatican II expert, the source and summit of our faith. What does it mean, everyone, to say that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith? Well, first, what is a source? What does it mean to say the Eucharist is the source of our faith? It means this, everything you do flows from the altar that everything we do as followers of Jesus, everything we do as disciples, everything we do in mission, everything we do in our vocation comes from the very body and blood of Jesus offered to us Sunday after Sunday, even day after day from the altar. That is what it means to have the Eucharist as a source of your faith and mine. Secondly, what's a summit? We're from North Dakota. We don't have summits, right? A summit is a pinnacle, a high point. Which means this, what we're doing right now is the pinnacle of our week. What we're doing right now as a parish is the most important thing we spend our time and energy on. What you're doing right now as a family is the most important thing you will do in the next seven days. And yet, how often do we respond by saying, Yan, really? This is it? If this is the pinnacle, pretty low pinnacle. No not in the least, right? This is the high point, and to try to see it as a high point. Now, on this Corpus Christi weekend, everyone, I want to offer this. If I were to teach a one-day crash course on sacramental theology, the study of the sacraments, one of the sessions I would have on this one-day course would be entitled this, Validity and Fruitfulness. Now, If you were signed up for this course, which you probably wouldn't have, you now would have dropped the course. (laughs) Because you're saying, what? Validity and fruitfulness? Sounds like a recipe for disaster. It's 95 degrees out. It's 70 degrees in here. Sounds like nap time. By the way, the church yesterday morning, the AC was down. I came on here bright and early. Won't tell you what time. You'll think I'm weird. Really early. And it was 80 degrees in here. Made a few phone calls. We cooled it down. We had a wedding yesterday. Actually, the couple who got married is here right now. So there you go. Um, So we cooled it down for you. But anyway, let's give this a shot. Here's the course, the session for the course. Validity and fruitfulness. What does it mean for a sacrament to be valid? What does it mean for a sacrament to be valid? It means this. It truly happened, right? Right? That the sacrament was validly celebrated according to the teachings and norms and rubrics of the life of the church. The sacrament was celebrated truly. Okay? So let me give you an example. For the sacrament of baptism, what do you need? What are the ingredients, if you will, for a sacrament of baptism to happen? What do you need? Well, first, you need an unbaptized person, right? Because only the baptized can be unbaptized can be baptized you need an unbaptized person what else do you need you need water no mountain dew sorry no coffee no you need water who said Jesus what else do you need for baptism to be valid you need the Trinitarian formula I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit When you put the unbaptized together of water and the Trinitarian formula, you have a valid baptism. What about the Eucharist? I won't go through all seven. One more. It's Corpus Christi. What about the Eucharist? What do you need for a valid Mass? Well, like it or not, you need me. (laughs) You do. Now, not just me, but any priest. Father Wolf would do too. But you need me or Father Wolf. You need a validly ordained priest to celebrate Mass. What else do you need? Well, you need bread. Made from what? Wheat. Why? Because that's what Jesus just did in the Eucharist at the Last Supper when he instituted the Holy Eucharist. He used bread made from wheat. What else do you need? You need wine. Made from what? No, 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 not rhubarb. (laughs) Okay, and by the way, can I just make a pitch here? No more rhubarb wines, no more homemade wines. They're not that good. And you know that, and I know that, so stop giving them to me. <laughs> okay? You need wine made from grapes. Why? Jesus, Last Supper, wine from grapes. What else you need? You need the words of institution, the words of consecration, the words Jesus said in this gospel, take this, all of you in eat of it, take this all of you and drink of it. This is the blood of the new covenant. You need those words. I don't just stand up here willy-nilly saying words or over at the altar. So that's what you need for a valid mass, a validly ordained priest, bread from wheat, wine from grapes, words of institution. You put those together, what do you get? You get the mass. You get the Eucharist, you get the very Body and Blood of Christ, that is validity in the sacraments. Now, you might be saying, Father, I don't care, yes you should, because we're into valid sacraments here at St. Mary's, we're into valid sacraments. We provide them, we assure you of that. But here's the point. When baptism is validly celebrated, what happens? Baptism, okay? When the Eucharist is validly celebrated, what happens? Christ becomes present under the forms of bread and wine. Always, no matter how much of a loser I am or anyone else is, the sacrament happens. When it happens, it happens. That's validity. Now, what about fruitfulness? What do I mean by fruitfulness? When you and I receive the Eucharist, is it bearing fruit in our souls? That doesn't happen automatically just by receiving it, does it? How do I know? Trust me, I know. How does a sacrament become fruitful in us? I trust that we all know, right, everyone, that each of the seven sacraments has a grace attached to it. A grace that is being offered to those who receive it. And for each of them, it's different, right? When you are confirmed, do you know what grace is offered to you in Sacrament of Confirmation? The grace to bear courageous witness to christ to be a soldier for him that's the grace offered to you what's offered in the eucharist well we need to explore that question let me use this as a i hope helpful example if you had somebody come forward for a eucharist for communion and they were a non-believer in regards to the christian faith they don't profess christian faith And they come forward to receive communion. And I don't know that. And they put their hands out correctly. They say amen. They bow their head. All those things. And I give them the Eucharist. Did they just receive the Eucharist? Yes. (laughs) That's the point. The point is yes. Their faith doesn't make it the Eucharist. The Mass is what makes it the Eucharist. Now the second question is this. Does it bear fruit in them? That's an entirely different question. Isn't it? So what I want to propose on this Corpus Christi weekend are a few, what I hope to be helpful examples for the Eucharist and our reception of it to bear greater fruit in us. Why? Because I need that for myself and I want it for all of us for this to be a fruitful encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. So a couple things. Number one, for us simply to be aware for us to be aware of the grace that is offered to you at mass every time. What is the grace being offered to you right here right now at mass? Spiritual nourishment. Right? What does food do for the body? Nourishment. What does the Eucharist do for the soul? Spiritual nourishment. For what? For you and I to live in closer union with Christ. Spiritual nourishment to be aware of the grace being offered to you every time secondly for us to be properly disposed when coming forward for communion for us to be properly disposed when we're at mass what do i mean by that to never receive the eucharist carelessly right to try to be attentive and engaged listening to the readings listening to the prayers doing the responses there is nothing i think more i don't even know what word to use unworthwhile than coming to Mass and not being engaged. Come and be engaged. Come and enter in. Why else come? Be properly disposed, to never receive the Eucharist carelessly. Thirdly, you're doing it right now to come to Mass. That's one way for the Eucharist to be more fruitful, to show up, to come. I know we all know the sobering statistics, right? That only 25% of Catholics in this country go to Mass on Sunday. What you're doing right now, only one out of four Catholics are doing in this country. The same is true in this diocese and the same is true in this parish. But you're here. But also, right everyone, to not just come to Mass when it's convenient. To not just come to Mass when I feel like it and I'm in the mood for hearing a really lousy homily, right? No. To come. Even when we're out of town. I got news for you. There's churches out of town. (laughs) And the word on the street is, their preaching is much better. (laughs) I can almost assure you that if you took a map of North Dakota and did a pin drop, you will find a Catholic church within 30 minutes of driving from any spot in this state. If you can't do it, let me know and I'll correct myself. To go to Mass even when we're camping To come back early for a 6.30 Mass. Those kinds of things go a long way. Fourthly, increasing the fruitfulness of the Eucharist in us. To give adoration of the Blessed Sacrament a shot. Eucharistic adoration. You've heard me say many times, right, that we open our new Sacred Heart Adoration Chapel this past Advent. People will still ask me from time to time, Father, I don't understand this whole adoration thing. Let me just say this. What adoration? It is easier and better for you to experience it than for me to try and explain it it is such a personal thing that is so fruitful for those who go that i can't even stand up here and do it justice to try to explain it it is easier to experience it than for me to explain it with that we're going to make a little of a pitch this weekend Uh, i just yesterday morning after i checked on the air conditioner did some mental math And I found out that we've had 28 weeks of adoration. And if you take that by the number of hours we've offered, this parish has offered 1,092 hours of adoration in the last 28 weeks, six months. 1,092 hours of adoration. We have two people at each holy hour, right? That means we've had over 2,200 holy hours completed by parishioners here. Isn't that great? 2,200. What we're doing right now is we're making a push to increase our hours. When we started Adoration, we wanted a strong base. We have that strong base now, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one to six on Sundays. What we want to do is extend it to 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So those of you who work can come at the end of the day, come before you go home for dinner, come after dinner, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, to add these new hours. We need 16 more people to sign up, only 16. I've been making phone calls, Save me the phone call, sign up after Mass today, right by the Gathering Space door, uh, bulletin board. You can sign up right there. Finally, after Mass today, as you may know, I'm sure that's why you're all here, we are doing a Corpus Christi Eucharistic procession. So we're gonna put the Blessed Sacrament on the altar in the Monstrance. We're gonna process outside. We're gonna go down 9th, back on Thayer, back down 8th, back down Broadway. Back into the church, do solemn benediction here, and you're welcome to join us. It's a wonderful time. It's a long standing tradition. I was talking to somebody before Mass today. I don't think we've had a Eucharistic procession here at St. Mary's Parish since Vatican II, since the 1960s. Today is the day, a historic day for us to do a Eucharistic procession. So I'll give some more instructions at the end of Mass. Let me end with this quote from John Paul II on Eucharistic processions. When John Paul II was in his final year of life on Earth, 2004, the last homily he gave for Corpus Christi Sunday, he talked about Eucharistic processions. This is what he said: that when we do these, we publicly proclaim that the sacrifice of Christ is for the salvation of the world; that we publicly proclaim that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross which is represented in unbloody manner in the form of bread and wine in the Mass, that this sacrifice is not just for the salvation of me and you, but the salvation of everyone who drives by. It's not about being weird. It's not about showing off. It's not about being arrogant. It's about going down the street and saying the salvation of Christ is offered to all. And it's made present to us here and now. A blessed Corpus Christi Sunday to all of you.